We're going to look again at 2 Peter 1 a few weeks ago. Uh, when I was here, we looked at the verses before 2 Peter 1, uh, 8 through 11, the verses 5 through 7. In 2 Peter 1, 8 through 11, the Apostle Peter talks about being fruitful in our walk with God. Psalm 1, among many other places in Scripture, fits nicely with that. So Psalm 1. Psalm 1, hear the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's sing a response to this from Psalm 33, the third stanza. I invite you to open up your Bibles to our text, which is 2 Peter 1, 8 through 11. Second letter of Peter, first chapter. We will start reading at verse 3. And our text then is 8 through 11. So 2 Peter 1, verse 3. There we read, His, our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's sing after the sermon, and standing again if you're able, from hymn 76, 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
I am not a farmer. But there is always that question to ask, especially after the spring that we did have. What is the harvest going to be like? Last year, if I recall, it was a little bit like this too. But we were blessed for the most part with a good summer and a good fall. In some places, there was a bumper crop, if you recall. I remember farmers telling me some of their corn was over 10 feet tall. What will the harvest be like? Now, we could, we should ask that question in another way, in an even more important way. What about your life? What will the harvest of your life be like? We sing in one of our hymns, the hymn that we'll sing afterwards, All this world is God's own field, fruit unto his praise to yield. So one day at the end, what will the field of your life have produced? Is your life going to be filled with a great crop of complaining, bitterness, a wonderful crop of pride or selfishness? Or will your life reap joy? Thankfulness to God, love, good works. You know, these days, life seems to be very much geared about being popular. I mean, how many likes, how many views you can get. The Lord Jesus Christ long ago warned the Pharisees about that sort of thing. They too sought the praise of other people and they neglected the praise of God. The praise that glory, the glory that God Himself will give His own over the harvest in their lives. What is your life producing? The Apostle Paul says in Titus 2:14, Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. Or Ephesians 1.4, Paul says that we were chosen in order to be holy. Not because we were holy, but holiness still is in the picture, the goal of the Christian life. In Lord's Day 32, we acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ also works in us by His Spirit, renews us to be His image, so that we do good works. Good works so that God would be praised Not just with our words, but also with our lives. To assure ourselves of our faith. And to win our neighbors for Christ. Very clearly, the Christian life is to be a fruitful life. I put the sermon under that theme. Christians live a fruitful life of faith. And we'll look at two things based on our text. First of all, there is a warning. And secondly, an encouragement. So is there fruit, godly fruit, in your life? I think it's true that we ourselves often do not see it. There can be times, also in the Christian life, when you feel that you are just sort of getting by. When you feel like maybe you're spinning your wheels. You know, just like so many things in life, just like marriage, the Christian life too, goes up and down. There are weeds that want to grow in your life, competing 
for nutrients, choking out the good plants. The Lord Jesus Christ speaks about that too in the parable in Matthew 13 about the sower and the seed. Our Lord highlights there the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. These are like weeds that can consume you and the fruit of godliness shrivels up. There can also be false teaching. That was the case. The churches that Peter is writing here in 2 Peter 2. These false teachers seem to say something like, you know, what's important is, is what you believe. And of course that's very true. But they did not go any further than that. In the ancient world and still today, there was a lot of focus on you know, religious experience, feeling close to the gods. But a new life of obedience, being godly, being holy, that was hardly on anyone's radar when it came to religion. In our text, Peter warns about the danger of becoming ineffective and unfruitful or unproductive. That one Greek word is used in Matthew 20 about men standing around in the marketplace doing nothing. That can happen to the Christian as well. For whatever reason, we essentially get lazy in our walk with God. But Peter has an antidote. See, look at how verse 8 begins. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing in measure. So do you see the point, the context of our text here? How do you and I become fruitful? For if these qualities are yours. Sometimes we just want to then go out and do. First of all, we need to focus on our character. We need to be. There's all those qualities that he lists earlier. And we looked at them a few weeks ago. Pursue these qualities. It includes knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly, affection. This is how you and I become rich in good deeds. We are not just to have fruit stapled onto our lives, as Christian counselors like to tell us today. Fruit should grow out of us. Out of our hearts, out of who we are. Our character needs to grow. This needs your attention. And Peter sees that it can too. If these qualities are yours and and are increasing, these things can even abound and multiply. All the things that he's listed before. Self-control, and knowledge, and steadfastness, and brotherly affection, you can have those in your heart by the grace of God, not just in a little way, but in a great, in an increasing, an overflowing way. This is how we become abundant in good deeds. 
In that parable of the sower in Matthew 13, there were some seeds, right, that yield 30, 60, others 100-fold. It's quite possible, too, that when Peter says that these things will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, he is using a figure of speech to also stress the opposite. Like we use figures of speech sometimes where we say, you know, about somebody, he's no fool. You don't mean that he is a fool in any sort of way at all. You mean actually he's very smart or very wise. You will not be ineffective or unproductive. Peter may mean the opposite. You will be very effective, very productive. But Peter does give a warning. That's the next part of this verse. If you do not have these things, whoever does not pursue Christian character is so nearsighted that he is blind, translates your ESV, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Peter here speaks about our eyesight. How good is your sight? I think you would agree with me that eyesight is pretty important. If you could only see a foot in front of you, that would be very troubling. What would you say to someone who deliberately goes around in life, sort of squinting? And saying, well, that's just, you're just asking for trouble. But that is what you do if you neglect your character, your heart as a Christian. You are really going around like this in life. You will stumble around. You will never see anyone or anything properly. The Lord Jesus, or John says, sorry, in John 1, 2, 11, when you hate your brother, you live in darkness. Isn't that very interesting? That the way you choose to lead your life affects how you see that you're now in darkness. This truth is found in a few places in the Word of God. If your heart is bad, your eyes will also go bad. But when your heart is healed by the grace of God, your sight also improves. And you begin to see life and see others much better. There's also another aspect of this. Peter says, you also can't see backwards. You have forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. So if you do not pursue this godly character, you have forgotten what the Christian life is really all about. The Christian life is all about forgiveness and being cleansed from your sins. Baptism shows that so clearly to us. But yet, isn't it surprisingly how easy that is forgotten? And the Christian life is turned into all sorts of other things. Today, it's often turned into a health and wealth sort of gospel. As if your salvation is having a Christian version of the American dream. 
We constantly need to remember the Lord Jesus Christ came to deal with our sins, our sinful, evil, human hearts. He did not come, first of all, to make you successful or or happy in a worldly way. He came to deal with your rebellious spirit. We all want forgiveness But if you truly want forgiveness, you also need to learn to live in a new way. If you want repentance, real repentance is not just asking for forgiveness in some sort of casual way. True repentance also means you're serious about your sin. So your life, if you live carelessly, you are abusing the grace of God. That shows, too, you have never really understood and never really sought the grace of God. And perhaps you do not possess it either. Well, that takes us to our second point. So Peter wants the life of his readers to be fruitful. Every pastor, every elder, every deacon too should want that. We're not the farmer, but we all are working on the farm, the farm that is the people of God. And now Peter lists some blessings, verse 10 and 11, about the fruitful life to encourage us in it. First of all, he says, verse 10, as you... Live a godly life, you will also confirm your calling and election. It's quite amazing how Scripture speaks about election. Election, this great act of God, is found throughout Scripture. Yet, it never makes us sort of complacent or fatalistic. Right next to election is often placed our responsibility and our task. Here too, election is to be confirmed by us making every effort. How can this be? Maybe you ask. How can you and I confirm our election? Wasn't this written before the foundation of the world? Is our election in Christ in doubt, up in the air, until we start leading a Christian life? That would flat out contradict the teaching of Scripture. Before the twins had done anything good or bad, God had chosen Jacob, says Paul in Romans 9. Scripture does not teach an election based on foreseen faith or foreseen godliness or anything like that. But yet a godly life has a place. The Greek word here, babaios, confirm sometimes used in legal documents to express how something is valid or ratified. A godly life ratifies, demonstrates the reality of God's election. That's Peter's point. In Lord's Day 32, we also talk about how Christ works good works in us so that we too may be assured of our faith by its fruits. In the past, in Reformed circles, 
There was often an excessive focus on some sort of experience. That's how you became sure of your election. People looked for proof of their election and some sort of feeling in the heart. They love to sometimes quote Psalm 130. My soul waits for you, O Lord. And they misinterpreted this. My soul is waiting for some sort of wonderful experience of your love so that I can know without a doubt I'm one of your children. That's not what Psalm 130 teaches. That's not what Peter is teaching here. How do you and I find assurance of our salvation? Not by constantly checking our spiritual pulse. By pursuing a godly life. How do you and I come to know more and more that we are children of God? By living as children of God. And let's highlight that this is more to than just pray and read your Bible, although absolutely that's necessary. But Peter here has been talking about participating in the divine nature. He's been talking about the spiritual formation of our heart. Make that your goal. To have a heart like Jesus. And you will more and more know that you belong to Him. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. 1 John 2.6 Look at how Peter continues. The end of verse 10. You will never fall. Peter is not saying you will never fall into sin. No, you... Sin is never dead until we are. But he's saying, this is the path so that you do not fall away. You will persevere in your faith. You will continue to hold on to your God and Savior. Notice the path, the plan here. Peter is talking about growing in godliness. And this, he says, is how you do not fall. Fall away from your God. How does your faith remain strong? Our faith does not remain strong simply by you and I in an act of the will, holding on to with determination the truths of the Christian life. Although there is a place to certainly do that. We'll talk about this afternoon. But how does our faith remain strong also by how we live, living the Christian life. It's like how it is with us physically. How do you remain strong? You need to use your muscles. If you don't use your muscles, they shrink. They can even disappear. The Christian needs to learn to get busy. This is where your muscles grow, The muscle of faith develops in the Christian life. And the opposite is also true. Why at times do we struggle to believe? 
Sometimes, yes, the problem is in our minds, and sometimes the problem is in our hearts. But sometimes the struggles in our faith have to do with how we are living. You wonder why believing is so hard. How are you living? Because letting sin have a place in your life will erode your faith. Lifestyle choices will lead you to believe all sorts of other things other than the truth of the Gospel. We need to live out of our faith. This is how we run the race. Look at how Peter continues, verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now these, were also, these are also fighting words. The false teachers in 2 Peter, you can read about this in chapter 3, they had no sense of the future, of judgment. Everything continues as it did before, they say. They said, they forget, says Peter, the flood. They forget that with our God, time is much different. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Christians have their eyes up, always. They do not forget there is a day of judgment. But here is the amazing thing that Peter says in verse 11. He's talking about the day of judgment, really. He says we can look forward to it. There will be an entrance, a rich welcome for us. Perhaps at times we think about the day of judgment. And we get very afraid. Perhaps at times we get very complacent. We want to just push that away. And live for the moment. Like everybody else does. But Peter says the Christian. The Christian should be able to look up to the day of judgment. And rejoice. Be hopeful. A rich welcome will be provided for you. That same word too in verse 5. You know where people competed to provide for the Greek plays and they just spend, spend, spent lavishly. Spend yourself lavishly on your faith and it will also be spent lavishly for you. A rich welcome by God Himself. The day of judgment, it is also for the Christian, like the end of a race. And every day we can run the race looking to the end. We need to encourage each other to run that race, to look to the end, the time of reward. One day you and I, by the grace of God, we will not enter eternal life just sort of by the skin of our teeth, as if we've just barely escaped a shipwreck. But in triumph, in joy, in rich blessing, we shall be able to say, as the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, despite our failures and sins, I 
I have fought the good fight. And there is richly stored up for me the crown of righteousness. Angels rejoice already now when sinners turn and repent. How much more when a sinner finally finishes the race and makes it home? They will carry us to the Savior's side with joy and delight. The Lord himself will sing over us, we read in Zephaniah 3.17. Here is my son who was lost and now is found. Enter the joy of your master. We can look forward to God himself placing crowns of victory upon us. Now look at how Peter specifically describes it. Into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's not just the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. I want to highlight this in conclusion. The focus he has on our Savior. He also had that in verse 8. There he speaks about being productive and fruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the basis of the Christian life, knowing Christ. That's where it all starts. And that's also the goal of the Christian life, the kingdom of Christ. Our God in the Lord Jesus Christ fills the lives of Christians. Our lives begin with knowing Christ. They're founded on that life-giving knowledge. And then they grow. They are filled with being like Christ, conformed to His image. He renews us to be like Himself, Lord's Day 32. And we also look to know the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing in His kingdom, sharing in the eternal glory of the Savior, the one victorious over sin, death, and the devil who will establish a kingdom where through him God is all in all. Amen.